Welcome to Let's Talk About Shreks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. This episode finds Jack and Earl in a Star Trek Prodigy Supernova. It's part one. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back, Earl. Thank you. It's good to have you back on, on Let's Talk About Treks. I hear you missed me. You hear that, do you? There was yeah. a rumor somewhere. Someone was talking about it. <laughs> yeah. I, you, uh, you shouldn't believe everything that you that you hear. Okay. How did you enjoy the episode of Let's Talk About Treks that featured friend of the pod, Isaac, from Unplanned Trek? I forgot to listen to it. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I just, I thought you would have listened to it. I intended to. And with all that was going on every day, all day, it slipped my mind. Yeah. That's okay. Today we'll be reviewing Star Trek Prodigy. Season 1, Episode 19, Supernova. Part 1. The release date was the 22nd of December, 2022. It was. It is the 872nd episode of all of Star Trek. Jack? That's my name. Who was our writers? Well, this episode of Star Trek Prodigy was written by Aaron McNamara, and it was directed by Andrew L. Schmidt. Supernova Part 1 takes place on 2384 on an unknown star date. And apparently last time we had a log from Janeway that indicated the star date on Instagram. Yeah, I did see something about that on my peripheral about uh, Terry Metalis. I think it's linked to Instagram. Aaron Waltke, good Aaron on Twitter, had also linked to something on Instagram that showed some logs that Jameway did that were additional material for the show. Oh, okay. Wow. DVD release. Oh, yes. I hope they're on there. (laughs) Because I I don't, I'm not going to go and go over to, I don't really use Instagram. So I I barely do. I have an account technically, but yeah. Yeah, I have an account. I just, I don't, I don't see going over there, um, downloading the app just to get there and look at these things. Because they were (laughs) mirrored elsewhere anyway. I've read one of them. Oh, they were. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, surrounded by the Federation Armada, the crew attempts to keep Starfleet from destroying themselves. That is what happens. This episode's synopsis exactly explains what happens in this episode. I, I like the synopsis of the last episode, because it's like, mm-hmm. Dell takes over the mind of a Federation Vice Admiral, and it's like, right. yeah, why not just say it? You're not, there's no spoilers at this point. I mean, could have been Jellico. <laughs> he's a full bird admiral. He's not a vice admiral. Are they birds? Do they have birds? Birds are cardinals. Oh, okay. Because they have birds. Uh, well, uh, but they have. Um, what do the navy prefer to call them? What? Not pilots. Cr- crows. Oh. Airmen. Okay. Airmen, yeah, they have airmen in the yeah, yeah, they have airmen in the Fireman. navy. <laughs> We're still get, I'm still getting the Delta flyby, and you're not getting it. That's correct. I'm still not getting the Delta flyby. I'm hoping maybe they'll give it to me for the finale. You know, the next episode, perhaps, because they did not <laughs> again on this one. Paramount. I don't know oh. what your problem with me is CBS, <laughs> but we should really talk. <laughs> so, how about we go ahead and walk through the episode? Alrighty then. This episode takes place immediately after Mindwalk. It's almost a part one zero point five. Sure. Yeah, I think <laughs> I felt like 
this episode opened right in the middle of some action and I really thought that I had missed something mm -hmm. when I got to the thing like I rewound to make sure I was in the right episode because it, mm -hmm. I, I was like wait did I miss and I went back to the previous episode to find out <laughs> where this had all come from I was already watching them back to back so I kind of picked it up uh -huh. you know I, I had to catch up after my break I noticed the planet in the background does it remind you of Mars I think I may have noticed that one time through. Do you mean that it has like um, colonies in geometric patterns on its surface? Well, no. I oh. that's one thing I didn't notice is okay. there are no little what they're 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 called uh, campfires on, on the surface of Mars on the dark side. Okay. I did notice there's a, there's a blue halo around it indicating an atmosphere. Oh, do you mean here at? the where they are in, in yeah, federation well, space they, yeah, so they that this is something oh, i'm glad you mentioned this so i think that what you're talking about is something that i was thinking about uh that i'm was intending to bring up later but um i what the heart of the federation like if they're at the heart of the federation like what does that mean to you earth Soul right system right so that's what i'm thinking like is that where they are because i didn't i didn't I didn't feel like I saw any indication that that's where they were, but that would, I don't know if that's, that might be, um, uh, I don't know, what do you call it? Like terracentric <laughs> of me to think of earth as the, because Vulcans might think of Vulcan as the heart of the, no, I think Vulcans would also think of earth as the heart of the Federation. Yeah. I would also, well, but I mean, again, that's coming from a human. We'll have to ask a Vulcan what they think <laughs> the, the heart of the Federation is, or maybe a Tellarite. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's why they'll move to, somewhere else to just establish that there's a neutral heart of the Federation. What now? A thousand years in the future. Oh, yeah, I think that was the original intention. Well, I think it was also like Earth, Earth withdrew or something. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. Some sort of madness. <laughs> we do notice right away that Down mm. has apparently finally learned the, the lesson of not keeping secrets. He admits right away that uh, he kind of screwed things up back over on the Dauntless when he was inside the mind of Janeway. Yeah, I think body. I think that he's gone past not really telling things. He he should have really said that up front, though, before they had to sort of like, you know, well, I mean, I guess he, he did sort of say that, like, right, uh, right up front. Like, yeah. oh, Janeway's going to take care of it. And no, <laughs> not really. <laughs> yeah. Janeway's trying to talk her way out of the brig is kind of how we open up this episode and mm -hmm. she's got this uh, what is she Brunari uh, officer that's that's guarding her uh yeah i think she was yeah Br Brunari was was the name but this comes from a voyager episode that's a call back to voyager and as a matter of fact you notice the voyager theme playing in the background you know rising up as our feels rise as we realize who she is I, I did. They they do that a lot with these uh, with the more recent you know Star Trek television shows, is they do the callbacks to the different themes when they reference stuff particularly like stuff specifically from an episode yeah. or series. Oh okay. I mean, it it's been two weeks, three weeks maybe since I've seen an episode. Maybe I'm falling out of step. Oh, I just mean like you know when Picard will do a little Voyager theme when seven comes. Mm, okay. Yeah. You know, or they'll do, you know, it has like a reference to the TNG theme in its theme. And also the prodigy theme has like, it has a piece of the original 
oh, Star right. Trek yeah, theme in it. Right in the theme, yeah. So this episode of uh, Voyager is called Counterpoint. Mm-hmm. And the thing of note about the episode... Okay, so what happens in this episode is the Brunari are in, like, this freighter, and it breaks down, and Voyager goes and helps them out, and then ends up having to, like, smuggle them through divorce space because the Devor are persecuting the Brunari because the Brunari have telepathy. Mm-hmm. So Voyager puts the Brunari into the transporter buffer and then takes them through space and then, like, sends them off in this... I think in a wormhole. Yeah, and that that also has an effect on the crew because they have to hide any telepathic members of the crew, including Tuvok. Sure. So, where was she when Dal was in Admiral Janeway? Um, she was in the brig. She is the chief right. brig she, officer. She's there now, so she should be aware of like some t- telepaths always cause me issues in star trek <laughs> oh I because i always feel saying. like they overuse or underuse their abilities mm-hmm. yeah but what, where are their social boundaries that what, when do they use their abilities and when do they not sure like zero has very little boundaries with those he's close to and to mm-hmm. be fair very little boundaries with those that he's not close to if he's trying to get something out of them <laughs> yeah well, they kind of use Troy in the same way, too. Like, manipulating Ferengi and... Well, not so much for Ferengi, because she couldn't read them. Although there's several times where Troy has to chastise another Beta Z for manipulating people as well, so... Well, there are several times where where it seems like Troy could have used her ability, you know, in a particular instance, or a uh-huh. way, you know, sometimes where... <laughs> you know, where it seems unreasonable... <laughs> you know, like a, a, a Vulcan talking to a human across many light years of space because they once shared a, a, a Katra bond. <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> so, like, you know, if a human can achieve it, then a Bernari should be able to, like, suss a lot of stuff. Like, the Bernari, this is what I'm saying. Like, the Bernari there as her sole guard should have released Janeway immediately. As soon as she was able, because she was like, oh, <laughs> you got to take care of this thing. Like, she should have sussed out the whole plan. Maybe it's a little bit like a passive skill that is not just active all the time, but she actually has to focus on listening. Being as she knows Janeway, well, I mean, mm-hmm. this is all jumping ahead in the episode, but being as yeah. she knows Janeway and has met Janeway before... If, if I, I'm putting myself in this situation because I'm a telepath, obviously, and <laughs> if I were standing there in front of the woman who saved me and my people and she was going to jail being accused of something, this is the same situation hmm. that we were in, only the side, the roles were reversed. So it would be like I would feel obligated to look hmm. in there and see what's going on uh-huh. and see how I can help. Or if you can help, yeah. yeah. Maybe at, at first she was more focused on, you know, appearing to be doing her duty so that she didn't... I mean, she's just an ensign. This is fair. Sometimes ensigns can feel powerless to do anything against anybody significantly higher than them in rank. So they're just... I mean, it's hard for them to break out of their shell of going through, oh, you must listen to, you know, command decisions at all times. Okay. Look at when Data took command of a ship, and Data had to learn, and, and Picard or Picard praised him for realizing that he had to actually break out of 
listening to command and you know he saw a different perspective and it was the right perspective of the battle and he ended up helping to win the battle because he uh disobeyed orders is this the sutherland is this what we're talking about uh yeah the sutherland with the uh romulan theta radi- radiation net thing welcome to let's talk about treks where we're very specific <laughs> about the episodes of star trek we're discussing we always make sure to fully research and be able to deliver you a quality product. I'm sure you didn't have any of this last week or the week before. I'm sorry, any of what? Me, me randomly referencing episodes without knowing the titles? Well, we didn't have any of you last week at all. Oh. <laughs> or at least the last time you made an episode out of new material? Yeah. What are you saying? <laughs> last week yes you present us with unreleased yeah we did uh discovery 307 which you and i recorded uh, early last year so we have several more discovery episodes to release so if, if there's a gap between now and the next you know series premiere then that's what i'll go back to i'll go and i'll dig out some of those files and uh-huh. try to finish getting discovery out <laughs> in the <laughs> intervening time because we're very behind on discovery yeah, well, well, some of us still have to finish Discovery season four. We've recorded half of that season, I think. Oh, uh, I okay. think you're on. I think you're on episode eight, four oh eight, which is a card game. Anyway, yes. <laughs> Ronnie Cox reprises his role in this episode. Indeed, they did a really good job of uh, of turning him in, of animating him. Yeah, well, and he's a little bit more animated in this episode than he was in the last time because he's not just on. A, well, I guess he is technically in the 2D. He's not on a hollow screen that you can just see through, so he's got to have more detail. Jellicoe is one of those characters that, like, they keep they they bring back and, like, I see, you know, reproduced in you know across social media a lot. Mm-hmm. And like, I, it's not that I, it, it, it he wouldn't be my first choice. It's not that I like I don't like. Well, it is that I don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want it's, you to like him. Exactly, but like, if there was somebody who I didn't like that like they could do they would do better with you know like a Kai Wen you know I mean not that you know rest in peace Louise Fletcher but like mm-hmm. you know like somebody who he Delico's more un- obnoxious like I, I kind of oh, I understand okay. a lot of times I understand where he's coming from like I get it he's just phrasing it it's just like the way he puts things it's like this, this is unnecessary Admiral <laughs> Admiral permission to speak freely you're being a jackass <laughs> like can you can you calm down so maybe they need more like a Gul Dukat yeah oh, okay. the thing about Dukat was that he was he was I was never okay with him but I was always a little iffy on what his authority was Authority. Oh, okay. The Cardassian like structures, like um, military structures and social structures. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I don't really under. I mean, maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. That I don't really comprehend them. But I just. Yeah. I. I don't quite understand what the range of his power is. You know what I mean? Well, I think it shifted constantly. But right. whatever whatever happened with the government, he made sure he got himself into a position that gave him a position of authority to maintain. A, at least a gall status. Sure. Do Cardassians have more than one name, or was there a Cardassian on Star Trek: Prodigy, season one, episode nineteen? Not to my recollection. Not on screen. Uh, there may have been a ship. You know, it was on screen. Oh. Was the the Blue Bridge because you got 
you got Tysus, Tysus the Andorian, uh-huh. and uh, there's a there's a Bolian science officer or a Bolian officer that's off to the side. A Bolian, huh? Bolian. Oh, oh, oh. Bolian, like Mister Mott. Uh, Tysus is entirely useless in this episode, as usual, because the first thing, like, Jellico asks, like, is there a plan, right? And mm-hmm. then, of course, this time, Asensio can just completely bypass Tysus, because usually she's yeah. just been, Tysus has been like, I don't know what to do. And then Asensio's like, well, let's do something that will help my side. And he's like, oh, okay, let's do that. And then this time, she's <laughs> like, I don't have time for all that conversation. Admiral, let's do so-and-so. Tysus, shut up. Go do something. Go to your well, quarters or something. Yeah, and sometimes Prodigy seems bad with their, their timing. Like, interrupts are, like, seconds later instead of instantly. <laughs> or there's a point where, like, the transporter chief waits like to shoot Essentia when she's on the tra- transporter uh-huh. pad and it's like he get, he's just waiting so that the transformer can come along and knock him in the head. Hey listen, we paid for every frame of this animation <laughs> we will use every frame of this animation if we feel like it. But something that occurred to me recent or reoccurred to me recently about uh-huh. the Dauntless. It's a reoccurring realization. <laughs> if there's an admiral in command, does that mean that the XO can be a captain? Well, it seems to me the XO should be a captain. Yes, possibly. Yeah, yeah. That would make more sense to me to have a commander as your sec as the person just under you. Mm-hmm. I don't see the purpose. Why would we do that? Unless it was something like Star Trek Two, where the Admiral just came and took over, but for some reason the Captain didn't stay aboard. He just kind of like, okay, well you do your thing, and then when you get back, I'll take my command back. So Janeway might not be traditionally the commander of the Dauntless. She's just there for this mission, and then the actual Captain of of the Dauntless will come back. So maybe that just the rest of the crew just stuck around. You bring up the interesting point that there is a lot about Star Trek Prodigy (laughs) that we aren't clear on, Mm -hmm. even though we are coming to the end of the first season, which we felt maybe halfway through that, wow, is this going to be more than a one season series? (laughs) It's sort of coming to light that there's a lot of things that we don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a lot, there's a there's a richer and deeper texture to the story that's available. Yeah, you know, assuming the writers reach out, reach out and grab it. <laughs> yeah, that would be the key: is that the writers have to reach out and grab it. Yeah, I have faith in these guys. I think they, I think they will. So, also, if it's tradition to call the leader on the bridge, no matter what rank they are, hold captain. Yes. Does that mean that Admiral Janeway is actually Captain Janeway now? If that were the case and we kept that tradition, then would we then owe her a drink every time we referred to her? Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Maybe? So when the Dauntless fires and Zero is underneath the panel hot-wiring the ship, I'm thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> Why didn't we do that a long time ago? Like, you could have, so you're telling me you could just bypass it all this time? Yeah, uh, that that did occur to me too. It's like, well, why didn't they do that already? Just to avoid the, you know, just sequester the the living construct to itself, so it can't get to the rest of the ship. Is it plugged into something down there in the little hole? Is it is it just a is it a Wi-Fi device? 
it must be a Wi-Fi device because. But it, but also like it doesn't affect it doesn't affect the protostar. Yeah. Like the protostar is immune to it apparently. So it seems more like a Trojan. The initial computer that launches the Trojan isn't affected, but the okay. computers that receive the Trojan are affected. Isn't that how a Trojan works? You can pass a Trojan around, 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 and then all the computers that, that got it get affected. The original one wouldn't be infected solely because, you know, like it operates differently or it has a fix against it. Mm, okay. So they sort of have themselves quarantined until... They, they have themselves it. vaccinated. They have themselves vaccinated. Okay. Yeah. I'm not really sure how I feel about Gwyn encouraging Rock Talk to sort of perpetuate an untruth with Dow. Like this, this now, right? This now leaves Rock Talk open to an accusation from Dow. Like you knew and you didn't tell me. Like, remember when we were on the bridge and I said something about it, and then, you're like, you could have said something about it then, and you didn't? Well, I mean, in the moment, wasn't the right time to tell him, because that would have just totally shut him down, and then they needed their leader. And he was in that position at that time, so there's a time and a place. Okay, so this is this is all Gwen's doing. Not, not really covering up, just sort of, like, redirecting. Yeah, redirecting and saying, hey... You know, without saying to Rock to pique Dal's interest to make him, you know, latch onto it, she's kind of hinting, "Hey, time and a place." She's trying to uh, dodge and evade in the same way that the protostar is dodging and evading and slipping <laughs> over all yeah. through this battle scene. I mean, it's doing a good job. It's playing. Yeah. It's playing tag. And I noticed that it never fired anything at all once. I was surprised that nobody else in the entire armada realized, hey, they're not firing back at us. If they were a weapon, they shouldn't they be or attacking the Federation, shouldn't they be firing back at us? Well, I mean, they've been told what they've been told. Yeah. So you have a, um, a vice admiral out here, right? So her her standing order of even well, you have Jellico too. Jellico's given yeah. his order of what to do. So doing anything you know, outside of that, I don't think is really expressly permit, permitted, but, oh, okay. you know, you would, you would need a, a Kirk uh -huh. out here to, to do something different. You don't think Picard would have done that? Um, hmm. Cisco probably would have. Kirk, Kirk's, Kirk's main, I mean, Picard's main interest would be to establish contact through proper channels or to go aboard. If they find a way to get aboard, then they're not gonna, well, I guess they're combat just could be infected and other technology they probably yeah that's the thing as soon as you open the comm channel from the protostar to you know your home ship then you know your away team has now infected your home ship oh okay one thing i did appreciate about the comms in this episode well one of the things i was confused about is traditionally picard cisco and janeway if they're on the bridge and they're talking pointedly in a, in a specific way to the computer that it understands that it's being needs to transmit that through the comms to engineering for example okay they just talk sure but i i, I noticed that dow taps his comm badge in order to talk to engineering now it is a general comm so what i did appreciate when pog is responding 
he's indicating to the computer, I'm the one who's going to talk in this situation because there could be a room full of people all talking with each other, talking back and forth, talking over each other. So then to indicate which person's going to talk and respond to the comms by tapping, I thought that was good, but I didn't think it was necessary for Dal to tap his comm because they don't usually have to do that. Yeah, you can usually just call it into the overhead. Uh, interesting that you would notice that level <laughs> of detail. I think that yeah. that there might be some sort of model where there's a different, uh, two different ways to you know call down to engineering. You can use a tap yeah. to let the computer know, hey, I'm going to make communication, or like, hey, start listening. That's him saying, Alexa, Alexa, <laughs> and then he gives his command. Yeah, exactly. When we have the scenes of the all the ships floating around, they're, they're flying around. No, they're not really flying around. They're just kind of sitting there mostly. Yeah. There was one that I couldn't put my finger on, and it is. I did finally figure it out that it, it's a Centaur class ship. Okay. Which originally came from some of the PC games like hmm. Armada, uh, Legacy, and you know was continued in those. I think that it's been shown on screen probably in Deep Space Nine also. Yeah, maybe DS9. In the large fleet constructions. Yeah, that are on our little 13-inch TVs, square TVs. And right. You're not going to really be able to see exactly what it is. So it's yeah. Gonna you got to go over to DeviantArt or truckmessages.ch to actually see the ship really well. I miss... I miss Star Trek Australia. Uh, that's yeah. I knew that's what you were going to say. Yeah, I love <laughs> Star Trek Australia. Was great. Star Trek Australia had a huge variety of ships. They had all the ships that were canon, and then a lot mm -hmm. of non-canon ships also. Yeah, I loved uh, the wire models that they had. Did they get shut down by Paramount? Was that what happened? I feel like that's probably what happened because they just disappeared one day. Oh, okay. A lot of people salvaged a lot of what a lot of their ships. I actually had a lot of their ships on. A big terabyte drive also, but lost a lot of them. But a lot of them, a lot of the ones that they had on Star Trek Australia have popped up. Um, I think Trek Messages has several of them, actually. Mm, okay. I'm sure the guy's hard drive didn't just turn to smoke, but the whoever was running the website, I'm sure they still have them. They might just have received a cease and dismiss. This is... Yeah. That, that would make sense as to why we haven't seen them pop up anywhere else. Because it, it was an exhaustive you know, set of ships. I mean, who knows? Maybe they got picked up by, you know, CBS and maybe they're working on the shows now. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. We really don't want you to do this, but if you want to continue to do it, we will hire you because right. we like your work too. Right. There was specific attention also placed upon the fact that the USS Defiant her, herself is at this battle. There was. I mean, it was yeah. for a brief second. And the... A couple times. Like, we, we saw it... Um, we saw it there. I remember that. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was a focus on the registry number when there was a torpedo going at it. There yeah. was, you know, we saw the, the name on the top of the ship. Yeah. Uh, we also saw the USS Sovereign near the end of the battle. Yeah, the class ship that came in way towards the end of the episode. But right now we are just about to the part where... Uh, you know, Gwen wants to go ahead and just go ahead and, you know, fight a battle somehow. I don't know what she's doing pulling the phaser off the wall. Like, I don't really know what her intention she, is at this point. Yeah, she's preparing to be boarded. If they were boarded, why would they then need phasers? Like, once they're boarded, they can say, hey, take off your communicator badges. Hurry, hurry, hurry. You know? <laughs> well, yeah, they, 
we surrender, you know. Or I guess you yeah. could they she could stun everyone and then take their communicator badges and throw them out in airlock. Yeah. And then once they're awakened, tell them, "Hey, here's the deal." Yeah. I guess is maybe the idea. Yeah. But Dal's like, you know, we can't, you know, do the this fighting <laughs> this fighting thing. Uh, and when she tells him that she has something to tell him and he kisses her I, that was <laughs> i i didn't feel like his for a for a tv show i didn't feel like his reaction was inappropriate because it did seem kind of like you know that could be a moment you know looking from dallas perspective yeah. i understand where he's coming from yeah i also understand where gwen was coming from with her reaction like what the <laughs> <laughs> well this is the part where we get probably Pretty close to my favorite line of the episode, possibly uh-huh. the entire season. Sure. Dal says at uh, eight minutes eight seconds, we all deserve to belong somewhere. Sure. But if I can't join Starfleet, I'll make sure you guys can. Yep. He wants to make sure that they can join up. Yeah. So instead of them screwing themselves by shooting everybody that yep. comes aboard, you know. Then if, if he has no chance anyway, then he can do, he can do what he wants. Yeah. Just like Mariner. <laughs> yes. I've been mentioning that there's a few arcs that I feel developing across the course of this series. Now, the Diviner, we'll get to it later in the episode, but the Diviner was one of those arcs. And I feel like Dal is one of those arcs. And I think I touched on a few episodes ago where I mentioned that Dal might be some sort of solve to the augment issue because you know those issues stretch all across of the history of of starfleet and it's mm-hmm. it feels like racism to me <laughs> you know and it, it just doesn't it, it feels like a, mm-hmm. like an analogy like not an analogy well maybe it is like some sort of analogy or alley but like this is it's the same it's this it seems feels like it's the same thing like I, what so what it is, is i haven't i myself have not been presented with enough evidence on the side of here's why we shouldn't have augments mm-hmm. around like i just haven't gotten that i haven't gotten there's not enough weight been presented to me on that side of the argument i mean Khan was one thing but Khan was one person and yeah. all of his people didn't didn't follow him you know yeah. lock stock yeah the eugenics wars led right into world war three sure or some people depending on who's talking about the history of trek it almost seems like there was no delineation point between the eugenics wars and World War Three. It's sort of the eugenics wars slash World War Three instead of well, because World War Three was led by eugenic people. Yeah, yeah. Considering that as part of the history of Earth, mm-hmm. and then also the encounter with the Suliban. Yeah, I guess that would go to underscore the you know n- need for yeah and uh absconding of from augments one of the perspectives they often put on augments is that they're like uh, well like the the people that that bashir encountered they're they're certainly analogous to people on the autism spectrum so maybe instead of racism maybe a better word to use would be ableism so i had yeah so agreed so i had a different I didn't really connect the two, uh, ty- like I didn't really connect Khan with the augments as presented in Deep Space Nine. Like the, it seemed like uh, mm-hmm. it was something unrelated to me uh, because yeah. this because it was a, it was more like 
the the kibosh was on genetic manipulation because of the fact that there's so many factors that you can you know fail to account for and then yeah. end up creating someone you know like the augments that we saw you know bashir's friends like the yeah. the ideal goal is to create a bashir yeah you know like or or a dal but so mm -hmm. often you know this tinkering with god's intricacy you know leads to something like serena mm -hmm. or jack which jack my jack jack that you? was in deep uh. space nine <laughs> so my understanding of the whole augment theme at the time was mm -hmm. that we're really more against messing with genetic code because of the yeah. failures not because of some other menacing factor yeah you know as presented with with condo you'd say yeah. And as it seems to be the flavor of it is now, like this is my this is my current understanding of it is like, oh, we actually, you know, it's not that we're against the the mad scientist stuff. It's that we're actually against the people who are a result of that mad scientist stuff, which is different. <laughs> it's, a, it's a nuanced yeah. difference. They they do touch a, a lot on the arguments. I don't know how much of Enterprise near the I think season three and four or is when they finally got into it. I did an episode of uh, Unplanned Trek. Um, uh -huh. I had a, a guest guest role on on Unplanned Trek, which was yeah. awesome, and it focused on the second uh, the second of the two parter around that whole story of a two parter around that whole story. I think the first part is called Divergence, and the one that we did on Unplanned Trek was um, Affliction. Mm -hmm. This is the one where uh, Archer ends up getting Klingon ridges. <laughs> Oh, okay. On his forehead. That part of the whole augment thing related... I related that more to the change in appearance of the Klingons. Like, that was a whole other augment threat, right? So yeah. that, that was related to the the affliction of the Klingon species that caused, you know, whatever the appearance of them was in the old scientist era. Yeah. They definitely go in and they explain, well, why you have smooth foreheaded Klingons in, the, mm -hmm. in, in TOS... Versus wharf-headed Klingons, prune-headed Klingons in uh, TNG. Sure. Yes. Should, should I keep it the wharf-headed or? I, well, I think we have an episode called "Wrinkly-headed wharf Klingons." I think is one of the titles <laughs> of our episode. <laughs> oh. So this is the scene where you know Dal learns that Starfleet is a no-go, right? When Gwen tells him oh i wasn't trying to make out with you i was trying to let you i was trying to crush your whole <laughs> dreams like i'm trying to try crush everything not only do i not want to kiss you but you can't even join starfleet uh, like take that and the funny thing like the same thing is happening on the outside of the ship like they're, they're everything's being crushed right and then dallas yeah. inside the ship being crushed oh cool nice parallel i didn't notice that yeah, I thought it was an interesting parallel. There was a there was a pointed remark that made me think of it was was something about you know the shields are offline, we're defenseless, and that's the same way the Dal is. And once and his shields mm -hmm. are offline, and he's defenseless because he thought that this was going to be like an intimate moment. And it's mm -hmm. this time when Gwen chooses to fire with <laughs> like the most lethal shot that she could that she could make, right? <laughs> Shots fired. So. You were talking about how Dal is a key to. You, you think that he's possibly the the human DNA or the Maquis DNA that he has is from Chakotay, and he's the key to fixing all this. There's been a few theories floating around in my head. One of them is that he's a message from Chakotay, and one is that he yeah is a key to fix the augment issue with Starfleet. 
Yeah, so because, yeah, that's what I was about to say, is because of Dal's heroism in this moment, Starfleet might, that could lead to Starfleet realizing, hey, maybe not all augments are automatically bad just because they're created in a test tube and not a womb. Hashtag not all augments. <laughs> the other thing I was going to comment on is what does Starfleet think of re-replicator genetically augmented meat that is just grown in a lab that never has a life to take? They think nothing of it. So they don't disagree with... I think that that's... Yeah, that's food production. It's not mm. altering, you know, an intelligent an life form. already existing life. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's about the end of the teaser, isn't it? It is. I think so. Yep. Good. Well, I think that's a good place to take a break. Shall we go to break? Yep. Let's do it. Great. We'll be right back. Hello, I'm Andrew. And I'm Isaac. And this is Unplanned, Unplanned Trek. Trek. Why are we here, Isaac? Well, because we like the guys from Let's Talk About Treks. And we really love Star Trek and we really love planning. Unplanned Trek. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, you. Me. Times two, actually, for the second time today. So we get back. And instantly, Asensia's on the reveal. Like, she's just ready to, to let it all hang out, as it were. Pun intended about her hair. <laughs> oh, okay. I was... Okay. Yeah, the hair make works. So I do think... I do agree with you uh, that I do think that that's hair that's tied back. But I okay. also think that it is tentacles that extend from their head and turn into dreadlocks. Okay. Yeah, that make I can see how that makes sense. Sort of like horse horse tails growing off the top of their head. <laughs> yeah, I mean there is a tail. I mean it's not as long as their actual hair portion of their tail, but yeah, there is a like two foot long tail that is what allows them to whip it around. I feel like Asensia's like the flesh, the fleshy part of her hair that like mm -hmm. is like a tube that extends and then becomes her hair, you uh -huh. know, and is tied. But I feel like hers are longer for some reason. I don't know what that means, <laughs> or if that She's is even anything. Do it, you, it, is Gwen like that? It, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that until now. It would certainly be a way of feminizing uh, Essentia to make hers longer than than the Diviner. Huh. As far as I think for Gwen, hers are probably longer than her father. Okay. But maybe not quite as long as Ascension's. So fingernails are to humans as head tentacles are to Valnacat, is what you're saying. Uh, to some extent, but also it could also be related to age. Ascension is obviously older than Gwen. Sure. So her hair tentacles could, are going to be longer. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Dr. Valnacat. I appreciate and, and it. As far as oh, the difference... There's more. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no As far continue. as the difference between Essentia and the Diviner, his probably do continue to grow, but they might, again, be related to... His. I don't think they would want to cut them, because mm. that seems like it would hurt, like worse than cutting into the quick yeah i think that's part of i feel like it seems like that's part of their part of their body yeah like maybe the the fleshy part continues all the way down but it's covered in fur okay 
she quickly takes out the two people beside her on the transporter pad and this yeah. is like the part where you're talking about where the transporter guys just like stands there yeah. uh, my question for this moment is like where did the diviner and dreadnought come from <laughs> Because they they just suddenly appeared on either side of him. Like there was, there, it's not like yeah. there's a hallway behind him. Oh, that's right. Like on Voyager and T- and and Enterprise, there's nothing really there. Why would usually the hallways come in from the side of the transporter? Room. Yeah, like do, are there doors on either side of the transporter console? It depends on how small the ship. I think the Voyager. Is, this is yeah. a this is a big ship. Well, again, I don't. It seems it does. It gives me the impression of a big ship, but then when I count the decks, I'm like, huh, what? <laughs> Relative to the size of the protostar, it's it's massive. Yes, um, until you count the decks. Mm. I've never counted the decks. How many decks does it have? Like seven or eight. Remember, oh, we okay. actually had a whole conversation about this a while ago. The, why is the transporter officer also wearing red? Oh, that's a good question. I'm I'm not really sure why that would be maybe he's out of place or maybe maybe he's a security you know that's that's maybe he's a tactical no <laughs> i don't know that's a maybe. that's a that's a good question what did, what did he tell them this maybe he's a temporal agent that he's gonna fix this oh thing. this is just some some temporal cold war shenanigans <laughs> you love that phrase I mean, it makes sense. It, it can make sense for a lot of things. I use that as an yeah. excuse in regular life, actually. <laughs> like, what happened to your your check? I think there were some temporal Cold War shenanigans. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So you're welcome for the for the example. Obviously, you could have used other political shenanigans that were temporal Cold War stuff. So someone has boarded the ship and Rock, Pog, and Dal. It's the three. It's the three-letter name crew. Mm-hmm. The three three-letter crew <laughs> come down to meet, you know, whoever's boarding the ship and end up having to fight Dreadnought. You know, when when Dal popped out, I think he said all hands on deck. Yeah, he did. What I heard was augments on deck. <laughs> I was like, okay. wow, he's really owning that, like really quick. That's cool. Okay. Because, like, maybe, you know, if they're Starfleet, maybe they'll all scatter because there's augments on deck. <laughs> Do you think that uh, direct, this, this Dreadnought is made by Hasbro? Because it's a Transformer? Yeah. There's that rim shot. So at the same time that Dreadnought starts his his fight with mm-hmm. the three-letter crew, uh, Essentia and... Uh, the Diviner are heading up to the bridge, and Essentia is able to just override Janeway with a Starfleet command, which is unusual because my understanding was that the Prodigy, the Protostar rather, had been jailbroken, and mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes our commands don't work, but sometimes they do work. Why would the computer from one ship take commands from an officer from another ship without being introduced to it somehow? There's nothing in the Protostar's log that says anything about Ensign Essentia. Is that, yeah. is that where you're getting at? Yeah, like yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't have her commands shouldn't work. Yeah, or at least to that those level of commands. Yeah, I mean, I can go to my stepdad's house and talk to Alexa, but Alexa's not going to give me her password. You know, but she was very <laughs> not you. <laughs> but she was very, uh, she was very, you know, authoritative about it. So maybe it was just like the way she said, because she was like Ensign Essencia. Maybe it's just <laughs> the computer listens for how like forceful you are in delivering <laughs> your identification. 
Okay. Yeah, she was pretty forceful about it. So what is this gravity mine? That's new. Yeah, it is new. I don't I feel like I feel like I've seen it in other franchises. Other franchises. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of what specifically. Like maybe it mm-hmm. was uh I've I've seen this 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 trick used elsewhere on television, I'll say that. Okay. I feel like it could have been in something like Eureka or something or or mm. something like a Warehouse 13 mm. where you're stuck to the ground because of a little sphere that someone tossed out. I, as soon as I saw it, my brain accepted it because there's precedent for it. It was interesting that it only seemed to have a small sphere of influence. Yes. No pun intended. It is a small sphere. Okay. It's like, you think it's like a tiny black hole inside there? Oh. How much gravity, like what direct, how does it know? I guess it has a little gyroscope so it knows to pull down wherever down is. So then if they shift the artificial gravity, it'll shift with the artificial gravity and it'll just, you know, increase the artificial. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just a device that increases the artificial gravity in that location, not Mm -hmm. using itself as a generator, but Mm -hmm. like using itself as a catalyst to increase the already present artificial gender like like maybe that wouldn't work on a planet is what i'm getting at maybe it only works Um, because it's it has artificial generators there oh okay that makes sense i get what you're saying because so like if you turn off the artificial gravity on the ship then maybe the mine won't work anymore oh okay cool now somebody invites zero in and she comes they come charging in yeah what yeah. were they going to do? Were they going to totally expose <laughs> yeah. themselves to uh-huh. the Dreadnought? Uh-huh. With no warning and to Dal at all. No, Dal well, I think that in. was part of the plan. So Dal, all Dal had to do was close his eyes. Absolutely. Like, like Indiana Jones at the end of the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Would that even work against a Dreadnought, though? Presum- I don't. I guess maybe presumably it would, because otherwise why would they do that attack? But I mean, it, I guess. I mean, if, if, it, if it wouldn't work against a Dreadnought, Mm-hmm. I would think that Dreadnought would not worry about defending against the attack. Unless the Dreadnought was maybe trying to also prevent the harm coming to its charges? Yes, to the to the Valley Cat, sure. Like that yeah. that could be that could that could have been his uh motivation as well. Okay. Yeah, this fight goes down pretty i mean it goes on for a, for a while and i really thought murph had it until until murph got you know frozen to the wall yeah once murph gets frozen to the wall we get the gravitic mine you know dal's he's in a headlock <laughs> up on the wall the giant staple yeah and then we we head right over to the other fight the gwen the gwen Essentia fight gwen gets to say picard's most dramatic line when we know that things are getting serious on the enterprise mm-hmm. get off my ship Oh my god! <laughs> Get off my ship! Um, How many times has he said that? To Q or just in general? In general, but generally to Q. Yeah, it's generally to Q. I feel Gwen gets first blood. Gwen does get first blood. Gwen has that that face swipe. This is after Essentia has locked uh, the Diviner below decks with the living construct. Oh yeah, essentially yeah. Yeah, that should have been a bad move on her part. This is the time. The diviner really could have enhanced his whole redemption arc because he could have mm. i don't know what his experience with the technology is but it seems like maybe he could have shut it down mm-hmm. or disengaged it or something yeah i mean who knows why he doesn't do it but um the detail that i noticed 
was essentially it doesn't bleed when do, yeah. Valnicot Valnicott have maybe yeah. they don't have any blood? Yeah, I saw this also uh later in the episode slightly later in the episode that yeah. this this also is is the case with the diviner yeah i don't know it might just be because it's a kid's show that so they've chosen <laughs> i don't know if it's an art direction or uh-huh. if it's you know if it's a science fact mm. you know or uh-huh. if it's just an explanation of like we just don't we just didn't see it you know <laughs> who knows <laughs> but you know, like that whole thing that you know the villain does, and they explain, you know, this was my plan, and I was going to do so and so. Diviner's so used to behaving in that way that he can't bring himself. Like he could have just made his thing fly across the room without saying anything. But the fact that he prefaced it, oh, the villain monologue allowed Essencia to be prepared for it when the shot came. Like he basically oh, okay. indicated, here's what I'm about to do, and then she catches it. Like had you just shut up sometimes. Well, yeah, it's like the uh, in a, in an anime when they doing that, you know, super hyper flail attack now. Oh, great! Now I know what to block. Thank you. <laughs> if you know how to block that attack, yeah. All right. So, so then, so clearly, there's no blood here when you know the diviner gets run through. Like he got run through mm-hmm. his gut. How I don't know because I was looking at his armor. Uh-huh. You know, as they were walking, you know, through corridors coming into the bridge, and it's pretty well tight. I, I mean, I guess the weapon, their weaponry, is made to pierce their armor. I, I don't know why that would be. If he's wearing armor, could the penetration of the weapon <laughs> have been so? The what? <laughs> penetration of the weapon? Okay. Phrasing. Uh-huh. <laughs> Could it have been so small that it it did do enough damage to kill him, but when it was removed, like the armor helped hold in any leakage. It sealed so the that, breach like the yeah, like sealed. the ceiling of the like the ceiling of the bridge. Yeah. Sealed the breach, although he was bleeding into his suit within the armor. So it just didn't come gushing out to where we could see it. You always know you're listening to Let's Talk About Treks when you get to the phrase where we're talking about blood gushing out. Because it's a kid's show, and I feel like they pointedly avoided uh, having blood gushing out, but leave it to Let's Talk About Treks to bring us right back to blood gushing out. You're welcome, Star Trek Prodigy writers and art directors. I was totally convinced that Essentia probably lost that eye, but I was surprised that she kept it. But I guess people go through those kinds of injuries all the time. I mean, you had to give her the Mackenzie Calhoun action. Oh, okay. Sure. No, with the the swipe across the eyeball. I mean, it makes her more menacing, you know, give her that that scar, just like uh, Scar, you know. Or, well, like Dal. Oh, well, Dal has a cool, like, vanilla ice sort sort of slice. Like his, oh. his is kind of chill, but her she has like the whole eye, like her whole eye got sliced. So Dreadnought is is back, you know, having defeated the kids, the children that he's taking candy from down below. He's finally beaten oh. the children, and this robot. You gotta consider that this robot. I mean, look how long it takes him to defeat a bunch of children. <laughs> Do you really think he'd stand up to like okay, so put like Dreadnought up against like Kira, Bashir, Quark, Dax, and Cisco. Do you think they could take on Dreadnought? It would be a difficult fight, but I think they would win in the end. I think so too. 
I think I think Quark would swindle Dreadnought out of out of pieces of itself. <laughs> I think that Julian would talk it to sleep. I think that uh, Dax would befriend it and turn its heart. I think that Cisco would make it stop with a cold stare. <laughs> and I think that Kira would tear it to pieces. Did you mention O'Brien? Did I miss that? No, I, I only I was only including those five. Oh, okay. I, I I have a picture of them here in front of me. That's why I chose those five. <laughs> okay. So Essentia opens this channel, and although Janeway tries to stop them, you know the channel has been opened, and we have the activation of the weapon and a, and a wash of red across the entire mm-hmm. fleet. Yeah. Let's talk about Trex's like the nitpicker's guide to Star Trek <laughs> Prodigy. <laughs> Sometimes I don't mean to be this way. It's just this is this I was born like this. Uh, the thing about so everything washing red. Okay, cool. Like there's precedent for that. You know, we had the whole thing with control. The warp engine shouldn't turn red. <laughs> like this, these are not like Alexa LED bulbs that we've just put all over the place, and we could just change them different color. I don't think they change color. And the deflector dish, like, why does the deflector dish change red? What do you think you have to do to make it turn red? Uh, oh, for the deflector dish itself? Yeah, like, what sort of configuration would you have to do to make that mm-hmm. deflector dish turn red? And why is there, why is why there is it blue in the first place? It's blue just because of like that's just the the power that they're using. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's got a blue glow to it. Well, do you think they are like color change? Is it like color changeable? Like, can the captain decide what color he wants all of his stuff to be? Can you come on yeah. and be like, I want the warp nacelles pink, I want the deflector dish purple, and I want all of the windows to be green. Like, can you do that? Can you have a rainbow ship? Like, can you order, like, all of the forward lights have to be red, and the next set of lights are orange, and then the, the back of the saucer is yellow, and then you get down to the, the... What is that piece of the ship called? Like, the little neck, the part that sits between the engineering section and the saucer section? Like, what is the... Is it a pylon? No, pylon or what connect the nacelles to the engineering section. Mm. I don't know. Would you call that a saucer pylon? It could be. Do you think anybody lives inside the pylons now that we know that there's space in there? Like, do you think there's any ships where the people live in the pylons? Um, I doubt it. It's only really recently come to my attention that there are lights in the neck of the those old scientists era Enterprise. So, like, yeah. are those, do you think those are, are offices or do you think people live in there? Like, and if you live in there, is it like you have windows on either side of your room and they both show outside? There's a lot of buildings in reality that have windows in places where they don't really need to be. They just have windows all around on the outside. And some of that is looking into hallways. Some of that is windows looking into offices. Mm. Although I would imagine the only thing that's really passing through the pylons would be energy conduits and turbo lifts. Yeah, that's what I would imagine. Although they are often included, aren't they included in part of the deck layout? So there would be a deck layout, wouldn't there be? I mean, in the in the Enterprise D, like the Enterprise D has a very particular type of connector from saucer to engineering, and it and it's much yeah. wider than most, yeah. and it makes sense for there to be things in there, like workspaces and living spaces. Certainly, I mean, at the base of the neck, there's a torpedo launcher, so there's would have to be torpedo control 
right behind there. Yeah, and I imagine you'd want to have an armory there and you want to store some torpedoes or a torpedo fabrication, you know. Yeah, our our torpedoes replicated just right into the torpedo bay just as they're getting ready to launch. Not in the mid twenty fourth, mid to late twenty fourth century, because we used to see Data and Geordi working on them, like configuring them. Yeah. In, gen- in generation they would reconfigure torpedoes all the time and they wouldn't do it yeah. remotely they would yeah. do it mechanically i i used to have a pseudo friend in high school that uh said that tor- photon torpedoes wouldn't do anything because they're only made out of light and then and i my argument was is well then what's the torpedo tube for or what's the torpedo casing for then so like well that's now we're going now we're going really deep because now we're going back to (laughs) the idea of like what's the difference between a phaser and a photon torpedo really because like one is one is light that's apparently in a i mean it's not light like i think that light that light is generated once it hits Mm -hmm. i don't think that it carries a bunch of light with it i think that something about when it hits or how it hits because they don't necessarily go off when they impact something that like because there was that one there was one that impacted i think was it the was it the discovery or the enterprise it impacted something and we lost uh, an admiral in discovery the photon was sticking through the hull of the ship so i think it carries yeah. a payload that does something that's supposed to do something upon impact i don't think it's like the weaponry already exists in there yeah it's a matter antimatter weapon. So it's actually a lot more than photons that it releases. There's a lot of different energies that are released. Yeah, where the name photon torpedo comes from, I don't. That's the real question: is wh- why do they call it a photon torpedo? Maybe because of the way that it lights up when mm-hmm. it's ejected. Like maybe they, maybe the, maybe traditionally they were ejected at warp speed because I know they have warp engines on them sometimes. Yeah, you know what the casing is for? What's that? It's a casket. Yeah, that's, just in case you got to use this thing as a casket, we're going to give you this case. I mean, there are a thousand of you out there, and you're going somewhere unknown. You might want to take these caskets with you. I mean, torpedoes. I mean, there's been a few episodes where the a torpedo has punctured the hull of a ship, like the Defiant, or like you mentioned, the Discovery. Sure. That's how we lost the animal. So yeah, there is a solid component, and like I said, I think it is a matter antimatter react reaction, which somehow is also a step above an atomic weapon or nuclear weapon. Sure, sure. Did you hear the news recently about fusion? Yes, I did. It's pretty exciting. I haven't heard much follow up except for that one day where they sort of announced it. I'm curious to hear about it again. I know. I wonder if it's. I mean, I imagine it, it seemed to me that they were presenting it as if it was reproducible, like it wasn't a one-off. Because this has happened before, where someone has said, "Oh, I can do X, Y, Z," and then all of a sudden you realize, "Oh, no, they're just making that up." I know that there's a YouTube channel that I watched the episode, and he said, "Okay, so is this whole thing just hype?" And they pretty much said yes. No. Oh. A, a lot of this is blown out of proportion by the media. Hmm. I'm sure it's reproducible Mm -hmm. and technically within the, you know, confines of the experiment. Yes. It did use less energy to create more energy or Uh more heat or whatever. Sure. But outside of the confines to produce the laser that they use to do this, Mm -hmm. 
use something like 300 more times energy to create a little uh, bit of I see. Gotcha. You, not to burst your bubble. No, it's okay. I prepare for these things because I, I always, <laughs> I, I've, I've learned a healthy dose of cynicism about the medium mm-hmm. to like sort of wait and see what develops after something's been reported. Joe Scott. Okay. He created so. a video about it. Like, I think it's his most recent video. Okay. Janeway tries to react uh, too late to this whole virus wash, you know, cutting off comms, etc. And when this whole moment happened, when we see the wash, I was mm-hmm. absolutely shocked. Like, oh, they really went all the way there. That's an interesting thing yeah. that Star Trek Prodigy is doing in this moment, is that usually the, the Star Trek pattern is to stop the thing at the last second. Yeah. At least before the last second. Yeah, I was surprised that they they went there with this because I mean I guess we've been building up to it, so we gotta have you know, build up tension, tension, tension. And we gotta have a release. <laughs> yeah, I mean they proved that yes, what what they were saying about the ship that was true. That's exactly what it was gonna do. There was no, you know, there was no turning back from it once it was started, and and their plan. So their plan in this moment has actually worked, which you know unfortunately means that they will cease to need to come back in time and do this in the first place yeah that, that I'll, I'll bring that up a little bit later in the episode. <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting how this this sort of circle happens i do like the little fires everywhere <laughs> i i hand it to the cgi team because often when we see oh, an explosion okay. yeah. of a starfleet ship the explosion is out of proportion to the damage that should be happening mm-hmm not so much, I think, when we were doing models, but when we're doing CGI, a lot of times yeah. the explosions are huge. <laughs> you know, and they've actually done like a se- like series of small explosions on the hulls of these ships, and I yeah. it just feel they looked they seemed more real to me. When the I think it was an Akira class opened up onto a Sovereign class. Sure. The first thing they took out was the escape pods. Oh, did they? Like, they're shooting right at those little dots that are representing of the hatches that open up when the escape That is super interesting. That is ruthless. It is. I mean, that almost seems like it would be a war crime. It is. It's a pretty foul move. to, to first, first, you destroy all avenues of escape, which means your intentions are clearly to kill everyone. Like, that's your that's your intention. It's interesting to note that with the addition of not seeing any blood, even though mm-hmm. people are literally gored in front of us on screen. <laughs> um, we also don't really focus on the idea that there are a lot of deaths in this episode. Mm. So again, yeah. you're, you're welcome, Prodigy producers, <laughs> because we are the ones who are going to point out to everybody, the, a lot of people died, like a lot of Starfleet officers died in this yeah. conflagration. And I'm wondering if we're going to feel effects of it down the line. Uh, mm. s- certainly we we continue to have interest in what's happening with the Defiant, you know, as it's related to Deep Space Nine and, you know, something that we like to touch on again and again. And I'm I'm wondering if we're going to see then effects of this later. Um, sometimes I get the timeline out of order, but this 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 series of events happens before Picard. Yeah. Right, which makes me wonder, okay, so is this the event that caused Riker to have to show up with a whole bunch of ships that were the same class because maybe we've lost some of our diversity in Starfleet mm-hmm. because so many of these ships showed up to this event. Oh, okay. That's a good point. So maybe they had already 
written this out and planned it out before? I mean, could be. I I don't think that the the thing that happened on Mars was an event of this scale, mm-hmm. and I don't think that although Mars was a, a, a you know a shipbuilding place, I don't think that it would have quite the effect on the ability to build ships as this sort of event would, where it calls all the ships together. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder if this is what begins a downfall of the Federation. You know, they start losing contact because, you know, a thousand years from now, they've completely lost contact with each other and are all separated. You know, like they, it, they've they've deprecated over time. Yeah. I wonder if this is one of those events that sort of leads towards that. Like they've lost their I mean, at this moment, they've lost their diversity of, of ships. Well, maybe maybe they did figure out the timeline. Maybe they don't know the specific details of the events that happened mm-hmm. to start, but they they probably mapped this out because they knew they were going to have what is it four new shows going all at once. Mm-hmm. So maybe they did re- have to re- figure out basically what happened, especially in a thousand year gap. Sure, I, I am excited about the fact that we have now a thousand years of history to cover so like any future star treks could be anywhere along that timeline oh that's definitely hadn't occurred to me before okay do you think that there's any other that there are other solutions they could have come up with you know to get out of the the dreadnought traps the set of traps that he's given for everyone Mm. like if the if if rock talk can pick up Pog's arm, then it seems to me that Rock Talk should be able to slide away from the mine. Possibly. Is Rock Talk stronger than Pog? It seems that way because Rock Talk was the one holding up Pog's arm yeah. in the right direction to unfreeze Murph. Speaking of Murph, one question that I had is if Murph can go out in space and not freeze solid, how huh. how cold do you have to make it to freeze Murph? That is an interesting point. My My curiosity was around where the coolant is on Dreadnought. Like, where does Dreadnought store this coolant? Or is it something that Dreadnought <laughs> is generating? Is it, is it like, what, is there an aerosol that Dreadnought stores? Or like, are there two chemicals that Dreadnought has like stored in its arm that it can shoot out and freeze somebody? Does uh, it also have a fire? It has a fire one also, right? The other one I think did, yeah. Do you think it has a water one? Like, <laughs> squirt it with water? Uh, maybe, I mean, this Dreadnought is a different color than the last one too. Maybe each Dreadnought is elemental. You have a fire dreadnought and an earth. Fire dreadnought, activate! <laughs> and an earth dreadnought and a water dreadnought and a love dreadnought and a wind dreadnought. And together they are Captain Dreadnought. <laughs> By your power combined. Oh, they're a combiner. Yeah. Ooh. Because the Bricar brains have saved the day, I think yeah. that that uh, indicates to us that it's time for us to take a little break. I think so too. Alright, we'll come right back for Act 2. Alright. Welcome weirdos, I'm Taryn Marlar, the host of Weird Darkness, where I bring you true stories of the paranormal, supernatural, legends, lore, crime, conspiracy, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. Named one of the 20 best storytellers in podcasting by Podcast Business Journal and ranked one of the best true crime and paranormal podcasts by Podcast Magazine. Bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the weird darkness found everywhere you listen to podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. Also you. <laughs> and you. Thank you. It's you I like. What now? Oh, never mind. Mr. Rogers reference. 
So we come back. Yeah, we come back into the confrontation of Essentia. The confrontation of Essentia on the bridge. Yeah, after she has she has gored uh, Gwendala's father. Mm-hmm. The dreadnought has now he's now transport he's now uh, transforming into uh, what is he a torpedo? Well, he's he's more than meets the eye. He's an escape pod. He just can't let the transformers thing go. <laughs> <laughs> he's an escape torpedo. So he's like merging the idea of an escape pod along with the idea of a torpedo. I suppose. I mean, he only has to be big enough to carry one in this case. Yeah. He's sort he's, of like a red angel suit. He's an escape esophagus. An escape esophagus? No. That's that, interesting. Sarcophagus. He's an, an escape sarcophagus. He's an escape sarcophagus, yes. And she's going to go land on a Klingon ship. Oh, I thought she was going to go to Egypt. She could. I don't know where she's going. Where do you think <laughs> she's going? What do you think her destination is? Like, what is her plan now? That's now that she's a good... Oh, I didn't hmm. think of that. Like, does she have somewhere that that is... Is someone expecting her somewhere? Ooh. Does she have someone she's meeting up with? Like, how long no. is she going to be inside this dreadnought? Is she going to meet up with her people? Guess what? Chicken butt. We'll have to tune in next season to find out. And see, this is that part of that depth and texture that they're giving <laughs> us. Like, now there's more questions. Like, what's going on with her? Uh -huh. This diviner death scene also gives me some questions because he, the last, he like, he says, his, he says her name and, you know, he's, he's fallen out and then he sort of rises and like converts to energy and then merges with her. They kind of did, yeah. But the other thing I was curious I, that I was thinking about is if they, quote, fixed the timeline the way they wanted it to go, then they never have to go back in time. So, Oh, so maybe this was just him disappearing into the ether because he's going back to restart the loop? Yeah, because he, he would never have to do this if, he, if they achieved their goal, so... Yeah, if they hadn't had him dissipate into Gwendala, then I would have thought probably that. Okay. But the fact that she then lit up after he lit up. The, the uh, yeah. Essencia did a lot of lighting up of the forehead in this episode <laughs> as well. This is a new trend that we're doing in Star Trek, where we have light up foreheads. <laughs> I would like these action figures. Uh, do you think the Gwendala action figure and the Diviner action figure have like a little button where they light up their forehead? I don't know. I mean, it's certainly plausible. I mean, my Thundercats back in the 80s could light up. Their eyes lit up. Okay. Yeah. So Gwen says that she doesn't know where Solomon is. And the Diviner keeps on saying that his mantra, there is no barrier we cannot overcome. Right. I mean, she, he's just saying, you can, you'll can, you figure it out. Listen, you just consult a star map. You can get it. But what if the barrier he's talking about isn't a metaphor? What if it's an actual barrier, like the barrier at the edge of the galaxy or the bar the barrier at the center of the galaxy? Yeah, there's there's a whole thing about that. That's There's a whole question about what is solemn, where is solemn, you know, mm -hmm. how is solemn, who is solemn? And <laughs> it, it could indeed, like the wormhole could have taken them anywhere. There was a time, yeah. there was a temporal wormhole. So and, they could have yeah. gone anywhere in the galaxy. Potentially they could have gone anywhere outside of a galaxy. They could have mm -hmm. gone into another dimension another dimension they could have gone to another galaxy within the universe sure so Janeway Janeway is back right but the universal translator is now out mm -hmm. the, we've seen this happen before in uh, you know other parts of the franchise and 
they kind of go back and forth on the quality of handling it. I think that they did a pretty good job here. I don't know that I buy the some of the languages. <laughs> like, I don't know that they that they because the languages aren't like pre-created, they're sort of just making up words on the fly. Mm-hmm. Like the Tellarite, the the Tellar that is being spoken just seems tonally inconsistent. Yeah, I mean, there's certain some of these languages are languages we're only hearing for the first time in this episode. Mm-hmm. I am not sure how Telar would be supposed to sound. Telar, Telarite, coming from Hog, this whole time has been very guttural and single syllable. Okay, but then spoken by Gwendala, it's a lot softer and the words are longer. So it doesn't quite sound the same. Like there's these uh, aliens on Doctor Who. They're like Rogdo, Bogo, Lodo, Modo. Oh yeah, the uh, rhinoceros aliens. Yes, and they have Tellarite has a sort of a similar sound to it, until oh. it's in Essentia's mouth. When all of a sudden it's it's got <laughs> shuz like sh sounds like sh like softer. They're softer sounds and and they're longer. It's not so Bogo, Bogo. You know. <laughs> okay, I get. Maybe maybe they were trying to steer away from it sounding too much like um, uh, yeah the doctor who runs. that's that's potentially true the uh, the same thing is happening over on the dauntless it's happening over on the protostar and now i'm like well hold on yeah so the virus is affecting the protostar correct because it took the universal translator out and it did the same thing on the dauntless you know i wasn't sure why the universal translators uh. i mean the com badges would be where the universal translators are so maybe it's affecting the combat as a starfleet technology but not affecting the starship itself maybe when the protostar connected to the other starfleet ships it also updated its software it did like the automatic update now that's connected <laughs> to the network and okay. so now that it has the update now it's also vulnerable uh, if you're a completionist the final thing that you would need to destroy is your own weapon itself because it's also starfleet what stops the protostar from its, for itself going to go and create first contact with the diviner's race that's that's 100 percent true i do like the the out of the box thinking uh where gwen is using the talents that the diviner has given her yeah to then go and you know be this she she's giving me a lot of uhura vibes in this moment mm, okay because she or saru you know am i the only one who bothered to learn multiple languages <laughs> yeah any communications officer I'm uh, what's her face on Enterprise had similar skills but of course Uhura was the first yeah Hoshi Sato did have a, a lot of languages under her belt as well language experience I feel yeah. like language experience is probably more important than actually having specific languages because language, language experience is more like you can suss it out suss out a new language you know, mm -hmm. as opposed to okay. being stuck with so many rules from so many. There are so many rules in so many different languages. <laughs> it's wild to me that when Gwen's doing the reach out to other people for yeah. aid, I mean, it makes sense to me that Klingon would be the first one to come across. That's That yeah. seems perfectly logical. I mean, Vulcan would have been the other option. Vulcans might have been a little more easy to convince. You know, we wouldn't have had to have the disagreement moment, but yeah. they did. They showed up immediately as well in a second. But so Gwen asks, yeah. you know, for aid and, you know, explains. And during this time, she says, you know, with Dal standing right there next to her with his hand on her chair, says that, you know, everyone repeats sort of the thing that you were mentioning yeah. earlier, where she says that, you know, Starfleet accepts, accepts us all no matter how different we think we are. 
Yeah, I liked how she looked at uh, Dal for inspiration. But it was, it's not true. Maybe that's the hint that Prodigy is giving us is that by the end of this whole event, by the end of the next episode, maybe they, they will be, you know, maybe they'll learn from Gwendala's words and Dal's words that they do need to reconsider who they open their arms to and open sure. their arms make maybe wider. It would be interesting if we did all this work, right, to, uh-huh. uh, to you know, make Dal this this central character on you know resolving our issues with the augments and then we allow you know augments you know around and then another whole big disaster is caused (laughs) (laughs) well i mean with picard season one we outlawed androids or our ai and then by the end of the season we fixed it this is true this is true it's that's the thing so that's the thing about about starfleet is that like we it, they've been outlawed for so long like mm-hmm. from from pike time to to prodigy time that's basically the entire span of star trek i discovery is sort of on an island by itself right now which opens up its whole its other like a whole another yeah. little range of you know possibilities all being possible of course well, but you know this 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 current history of Star Trek is is full and it wasn't really like clear to me before but this entire history of Star Trek that we've experienced is full of anti augment mentality <laughs> yeah it, I mean it does go all the way back to Earth Starfleet and the NXL one that's why sure. there's a whole episode with uh, Brent Spiner in, in that and the oh yeah I forgot there was a song there as well it actually goes through the entire history of Starfleet and before Starfleet. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. And like, don't you think it's far past time to put away all old biases? Yeah. 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 So Jamie wants to evacuate. I don't know how we're gonna do that because the ship's not really working. Yeah, I mean, other than the escape pods, hopefully. I mean, but those have been fired upon probably by now. If that's if that's the pattern, hit the escape pod. Like, I mean, it's a it's an automated program, right? So, uh, if one of the first things you do is hit the escape pods, then I think we can assume that the escape pods of the Dauntless have probably been hit by now. Maybe she hasn't realized that yet. Yeah, that's likely. I mean, if their computers are freaking out, then she doesn't know what's going on. Can you imagine you get to the escape pods and like they're just crushed? Yeah. Inside the ship, they're just stuck there, melted yeah. in place. Yeah. That's one of those multiple scenes of death that were being presented in this episode. Because again, we go back to the exterior shots, and although you know people are flying around, everyone's being being bombarded. Just a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of death in this episode. I decided to underscore that for the CBS <laughs> Paramount Star Trek team, just to make sure that yeah. they know that we're covering that for them. <laughs> okay. So the the mighty Tridge arrives the uh, the klingon that gwendala had reached out to mm-hmm. and and is bringing friends they're bringing um what did she say civilians and katarians and vulcans and then uh ferengi also pog starts to list off all the non-starfleet ships that are showing up mm-hmm. he starts to list all these people that are that consider themselves allies of the federation sure and among the, them are gorn and ferengi ships oh i didn't hear gorn did you hear oh, Gorn? Yeah. yeah, I heard Gorn. Oh, I, that's interesting. I'm going to have to go back and and listen. That's super interesting. So that means by 2384 that the Gorn and the Ferengi have developed a better relationship 
with Starfleet? Well, so the call was asked for, you know, friends, allies, friends of friends, anybody you got, your mom down the street, (laughs) bringing those cousins. We don't even go over to their house. Like it was, it was bring everybody. Yeah, that's true. Maybe the Gorn are just showing up for scavenging rights, breeding rights. Uh, yes. If they're not already allied, yeah, I'm curious as to what the motive. Yeah, I am curious as to what the motivation would be for the Gorn to show up, or you know, for anyone that's enemy or tangential enemy. Like we didn't yeah. see in our, any Cardassians. Well, by this point, we're actually friends with them. Who who do who does Starfleet have as an enemy by this point? Besides the Valnacat, because it's not really the Romulans, it's not really the Cardassians. I guess Dominion. Yeah, I mean the Dominion are just sort of an there they're keeping to their own quadrant i mean it's yeah as far as we know we haven't really we've been to deep space nine but we don't really know well the, i mean the karama came over but the, mm-hmm. the, were they part of the dominion sort of they were like fringe members hmm. okay right. they were also like the way that the dominion did business with Unknown, other, sure. Yeah, they were like governments. a they were like the frontline uh, purveyors of goods. Yeah. Sent them out in caravans. Yeah. Plus, they're also sitting around in bars and telling me, you know, the the horror stories, the the the, you know, the whale tales of captains of the old days, of of the you know the the creepy dominion off the edge of the map. They're like their heralds. Yeah, that's the like, they, like they're like their town car. Like they go out and they say, "Oh, these this is the the wonderful exploits of the Dominion. Look what they've done. Look at these horrible things. Stand there and quake in their might. Do business with us or else." Yeah, this is when we learn about the SOS that Starfleet ships send out when they are in need, and that's what's then calling the USS Sovereign and presumably other ships soon to come yes. here and uh I, I am very curious about the fallout from what's happening with these ships but they, so they says that they aren't enough allies in the sector to stop what's mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. so the better move would be to get a bunch of ships that aren't affected and have them all tractor so like if they're only firing on starfleet ships then why would any of the other ships get hit you see what I'm saying? Like, none of the other, none of, like, the Klingons, like, some, they were taking damage, right? Yeah, what they were doing is getting in the path of the bullet. Right. So, if they can tractor ships and pull them away from each other, mm-hmm. then that should solve the problem. Oh, so you're saying just show up, tractor the ship that is, any ship, and then fly away with it. Out of out of range of firing range. Okay, that makes sense. But I guess then each one of those would be sending another SOS signal <laughs> and having other ships come to it. I don't know that there's a way to stop this cascade, and it's 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 a little bit heartbreaking. And my question is, since mm-hmm. I'm doing a lot of talking to CBS Paramount this episode, <laughs> uh, my question is: This is the episode that you decided to give us before Christmas. Um, who thought that this was a good idea? Like this was the final. You could have backed it up, maybe like one week. Like we could have taken that break away, you yeah. know, that we had. But this is this is the episode that you decided to lead me into Christmas with, where I'm just completely devastated <laughs> and and anxious and worried. Like, oh, this is this doesn't feel like Christmas. 
thank you for yeah this is where you choose to leave me before christmas and and then on top of that <laughs> because of the fact now this is this is our fault or but like because on top of that like we then haven't hadn't done this one yet so i haven't been able to watch supernova yet oh so what i'm going to do is i'm going to very quickly uh i'm going to rate this a 9.0 okay just because of the devastation at the end like I uh, really, this is where you're gonna leave me. This is this is for mm. Chris. Like that's the first thing I said when the episode came to a complete close. So I was like, for Christmas, <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> thanks, thanks, Star Trek. This is gonna be this is great. <laughs> like and it even ends like as it's fading out. There's like these these creepy Christmas bells <laughs> in the background as well. Oh yeah, and I'm like, well, yeah. Go back and check it out. Like they, might, they, they, yeah. they send you off with some Christmas bells, like some weird <laughs> carol holiday bells. I'm like, wait, what? This is <laughs> this? Okay, maybe it's our uh, Scrooge story then. It seems that way. <laughs> this is the ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> so the Christmas present is after Christmas when we find out everything will be okay. Maybe they'll be taking us into the new year in a in a better way. Looking forward to a brighter future. A brighter tomorrow. We'll see. We'll find out next episode. But first, you have to rate this episode. Yeah, I enjoyed this episode. I found myself, you know, going back and forth, trying to figure out exactly which ships were were in it, how many ships were in it. Uh, I enjoyed this episode. I think I agree with you. Nine point zero is yeah. a good score because I didn't think about it before now. And, okay. And, just copy there we are 9.0 <laughs> alright so listen uh, I am in a rush because I want to go watch this second part of this episode so let's go do that so I can get over my Christmas devastation <laughs> before New Year's because we're recording on yeah, New Year's yeah. Eve so let me go ahead and watch this episode before we break out the the brute the champagne alright so until next time everybody stay positive Dream big, and you'll hear from us again soon. Every time I see a poodle, I think of Christiana. Support the continued making of this show through Patreon.com. Let's Talk About Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttreks.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as @trextalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kakos Reaper. Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay. Because of Lacusa talking, too? Wasn't she the voice of the poodle? I remember the second one all that much. Okay. All right. So okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna end and I'm gonna go watch this the second part of this episode and I'm gonna make a cake. Have fun. Are you gonna expect to try and do the the next episode tonight? Or this yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it. Oh. but we're gonna do the recording on Monday, correct? That's what that's the goal you set us, yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna Have watch fun. my first time right now. Cool. Okay. Let me know how it goes. We'll do. Cheers. Ciao. Right